Parshas Chukas. It is our quest to trace a cohesive theme pervasively permeating our parsha, and to bring that theme alive as a Torah Chaim with a relevant, resonant message. I would like to title Parshas Chukas with the message, Life Transitions Prod Us Towards Personal Growth. You know, life transitions at every stage in life. Things change. We might want life to remain as it is. We are comfortable with life as it is and what is so familiar to us. But whether we like it or not, Chayim changes on us. Life changes on us. We age. People die. We forge new. Re- we forge new relationships. Jobs change. Circumstances change. So we have to accept life transitions and ultimately recognize that Hashem is thrusting those transitions on us. Not to be a monkey wrench to undermine an otherwise good life, but he's actually is prodding us to grow. So let's bring alive this theme in the parsha: how we see transitions, not only in the life of an individual, but in the life of a people, B'nai Yisrael. One can look at B'nai Yisrael's development as a child's development. Yecheskel Hanavi envisions the Jewish people born at Yitzias Mitzrayim. Umoladatayich biyom holadatayich. At Yitzias Mitzrayim, we became a people. And we grow throughout our years in the Midbar. Chazal indicate that the 40 years in the Midbar until we reach our Yisrael are akin to the 40 years of maturation till a person reaches the ripe age of 40, Ben Arbam Mabina the age of Bina, the life of intuition. Prior to that stage, one is still growing. Well, here's where it happens. This quantum leap to maturation at the end of the 40 years, when B'nai Yisrael become a people ready to enter the land, happens in our parsha, and our parsha showcases this transition throughout. The first indication in this regard is from a Pasuk as Parashi's commentary, which appears several times in our parsha. The Torah says several times here, Vatavo kol the entire congregation came to Midbar Sin and other destinations in the desert. Rashi says kol the entire congregation means this is the people who would enter the land. All the people who were fated to die during the 40 years in the Midbar, in other words, that first generation who left Mitzrayim, who, upon whom it was decreed to die in the desert, well, they had all died by the time the stories in our parsha happened. This is the passing of the torch to the next generation. Kol ha'eda, elu pirshu says Rashi, these are the people who are going to live and make it into the land. This is the protagonist in our parsha, a Jewish people who is no longer the infant Klal Yisrael who left Mitzrayim, but a Jewish people who is ready to enter the land. 
And there are, there are other manifestations of this quantum leap, which we can trace in our parsha. Something epic happens at the end of our parsha. Our parsha ends with the Jewish people upon the east side of the, of the Yardin, the Jordan River. Land which ultimately becomes part of greater Eretz Israel, greater Israel. These are the lands that are called Eretz Sichon Viog, the lands of Sichon and Og. Well, the Jewish people conquer those lands from Sichon and Og in our parsha. Thus, they begin the Kiba Sha'aretz. They begin the conquest of the land, a conquest which is ultimately completed under Yehoshua and Sefer Yeshua. Well, that starts in this week's parsha. It is no coincidence that Kiba Sha'aretz starts in this week's parsha. This is the parsha of the new generation who will enter the land, and they begin to behave like the Bnei Eretz Yisrael, with weapons, battle strategy, asserting themselves. In fact, we can trace this new persona of a Jewish people even further in our parsha. A Jewish people who until now has been in a cocoon of sorts. During the 40 years in the desert, we were kind of away from civilization. Tenderly cared for by Hashem in the desert. In this pocket, away from civilization, we did not have to fend for ourselves. We did not really encounter too many foreign people. We were kind of in a cocoon. Well, now the Jewish people who are entering the land, when we are going to assume personal responsibility, everyone will have an estate of land upon which to earn their parnasa and Eretz Israel as opposed to mana from heaven, man from heaven. Well, this new reality of a Jewish people who is leaving the cocoon and must become assertive in their own right, taking up arms and the like, and even facing down enemies is borne out not only by the battle with Sichon and Og, but by the skirmish with several other nations which happened in this week's parsha. In this week's parsha, the Jewish people encounter the nation of Edom. They find themselves on the doorstep of the Edomite people, the descendants of Esau, and they send a diplomatic mission, please let us into your country. A diplomatic overture which, mind you, is denied. And the king of Edom actually, Edom actually meets them with an army and says that you, you Jews may not enter my country. See how a Jewish people is now dealing with aggressors, engaging in feudal diplomacy, learning or attending the school of hard knocks, so to speak, dealing with the United Nations, a PLO, so to speak, as such a thing would be envisioned. 3,500 years ago. And elsewhere in the Parsha, we have the Jewish people actually attacked by a king referred to as Melech Arad, the king of Arad, identified by Chazal as Amalek. He actually battles with the Jewish people, which has not happened over the course of the 40 years. The last battle was when we left Mitzrayim, when the nation of Amalek attacks us. Well, now, at the end of the tunnel, at the end of the 40 years, it is not a coincidence that we're waging war again. We are leaving the cocoon called the Midbar. We are leaving Hashem's protective, tender parenting. You know, as a parent, you want to, you want to carpet the world for your child. And it's a scary thought when your, the child, your child leaves the protection of your own home and they're going to have to face down nemeses of various sorts. Well, that's what the Jewish people have here, fighting with Amalek. And furthermore, we have another example of the Jewish people encountering an enemy. And that is what is called the episode of Nachal Arnon in our parsha, the Plains of Arnon. A story in the parsha as explained by Rashi that you had Amorim, enemy people, 
who hid in caves seeking to ambush the Jewish people. And a great miracle happened. They were crashed. They were crushed in some great natural calamity which happened in that canyon called the miracle of Nachal Arnon. The point is, again and again, we see the Jewish people for the first time are encountering enemies and dealing with people who seek them harm, learning the difficult art of facing down aggressors. This is very much in line with a larger theme in the parish, the new generation who will enter the land, who is no longer a child, enveloped in Hashem's cocoon. And the, this thematic pattern only continues. There are other expressions in our parasha of transition here. The generation who left Mitzrayim and in the desert is now becoming the people who will enter the land who must fend for themselves. Because the leadership structure of the Jewish people changes specifically in our parasha. It is in our parasha of all parashas in the Torah that you can, in which you can discern new leadership. Because who has been the trusted leaders of the Jewish people since we left Mitzrayim? Almost the only government we know. Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam. Those three siblings have been our leaders since we left Mitzrayim. They've, so to speak, occupied high office much longer than Bibi Netanyahu, who might be making a comeback. Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam, have, they have been the only leadership we've known since we've left Mitzrayim. Well, it is in our parsha that all three are struck. Miriam actually dies. Aaron actually dies. And Moshe, while he does not actually die yet in our parasha, he is fated to die in our parasha. It is in this week's parasha that Moshe sins the sin of Mamarifa when he hits the rock instead of hitting the rock, and he's told, you're going to die, there's going to be a new leader. So you see the pattern here. The old leadership. This, These, I'm going to call them stabilizing figures of a Jewish people are now leaving us in our parsha, in line with the greater theme. Life transitions force us to deal with the jolting realization that everything we knew, everything we took for granted, leader figures, parental sort of figures, well, they eventually leave too as we transition into adulthood and must begin to grope for ourselves in the dark. And not only Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam, the three personas we have so relied on all this time begin to depart, but the three staples or basic resources we've so depended on begin to fall away. It is in our parsha that we lose the Be'er Miriam, the well of Miriam. It is in our parsha as per Medrash and Gemara that the Ananiyah covered, the clouds of glory, those clouds which enveloped us, which we so relied on. And it is in this week's parsha the Mun as well, though the Mun does not actually vanish. The Jewish people reject the Mun and say we don't want it anymore. In fact, this loss of the basic resources, you might call them the, almost the basic furniture items, that which we relied on since we left Mitzrayim, the dependencies from our youth because we are the new generation. Well, this directly corresponds to the previously cited loss of the leadership structure, Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam, because we know Chazal tell us that these three miracles, the Mon, the Be'er, and the Anani Akavu, the Mana, the Well, and the Clouds of Glory, 
We're each in the merit of one of those leaders. Trace the pattern now. Miriam dies in the parasha, so her well dies with her. Aaron dies in the parasha, so the clouds of glory which are in his merit depart with him. Moshe, while he doesn't die, is fated to die, becomes exposed in his mortality as a mortal, so the man which is in the merit of Moshe, along with him, becomes questioned as well. Its presence becomes questioned. You appreciate the perfect pattern. The three leaders and their respective miracles are all departing in a perfectly symmetrical fashion. Miriam and Aaron entirely, and with them the Mon and the Ananiakov, and Moshe, his hold becoming tenuous. And with him the Mon, which is in his merit, when the Jewish people in our parasha question the need for Mon. So here we have it. A splendidly cohesive pattern in our parasha pointing to an underlying theme here. This is the new generation who will enter the land. A people who is operating differently, as we studied. They're fighting wars. They are beginning to learn. Rough it in life. You no longer have mommy and daddy carpeting the world for you. You no longer have Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam, and so forth. And this is the story of our lives. These transitions we experience in life. And I'm going to suggest, like the Jewish people in Pashas Chukas, we must grow. We must learn to embrace these transitions thrust upon us and, use, and allow them to prod us towards further growth. The truth is, Transitions are not only life circumstances, but we change. Our mentality change, changes. Our psyche changes. We think differently than we used to think earlier in life. Our mentality changes. Think about how you looked at the world as a young person. Think about how you look at the world as an older person. And we could talk about adages such as, he who is young and is not a liberal has no heart. He who is old and is not a conservative has no mind, right? Regarding the adventurous spirit of youth versus the deliberation of old age and other such, we change. Well, sing the parsha as we are, as a parsha all about transition points in a people and how that inspires a growing life as life, the individual's life changes. Well, this is highlighted by yet another phenomenon in our parsha. When we see a Jewish people who sees themselves as a different sort of people, who reacts differently and refuses to remain the same. Because we have an episode in this week's parsha called Vatiksar Nefesh HaAmbadarach. The people became, become frustrated on the path. As Rashi explains, they, they are so close to enter the land but they're facing some setbacks. The people of Edom are not allowing them in. Literally, Eretz Yisrael is almost in sight, but we're not quite there yet. So the people become very frustrated as they must spend a few extra weeks in the Midbar. And how do they react? As oftentimes is the case when people are short of patience, they become irritable and they complain about the month. 
Now, is this just an impatient people becoming irritable or disappointed that our Yisrael has not materialized yet, so we just happen to complain about Hashem is Mon? Well, there's a direct connection here. Think about it. The Mon reflects and symbolizes the period in the desert. It has been our source of sustenance throughout the period in the desert. It sustained us fine throughout all these years. Generally speaking, we were okay with the Mon. We are now becoming frustrated with the Mon when we want to enter Eretz Yisrael, when the dream of Eretz Yisrael is becoming elusive. Why? Because as far as the Jewish people are concerned, we are not our parents' generation anymore. We are no longer nomads in the desert relying on Mon. We want to strike it for ourselves. We want to enter this land already. We're frustrated because we have not entered the land. So they are not randomly shooting an arrow of irritation upon the Mon. The Mon symbolizes all of their frustration, all of their pent-up frustration as they seek to move on. We seek to be the people of Eretz Yisrael. We seek to be, you might say, the Chalut Simabold, to enter the land and heroically, independently reside on our own property and become a strong people. And here we are still in the desert, nomads reliant on Hashem's Mon, however spiritual, however ethereal the Mon may be. Well, you begin to sympathize from a Jewish people's perspective why their frustration when they want to enter the land already is taken out against the Mon. We are ready to move on. Think of Mama's Parch. We all have warm childhood memories. When Mama would lovingly feed us in the morning, she would get up early, long before we awoke, and place the porridge all on the stovetop and mix in a heaping dose of sugar, honey, and a mother's love. That was beautiful as a child. But when a child's ready to leave home, he's ready to pull away from Mama's apron strings. He just wants to strike it on his own. No more mother's porridge. Well, they're the Jewish people. When they're ready to enter a land, no more man. You see the notion of maturation, adolescence, changes of life circumstances here. The theme of our parsha playing out on a national level. We are ready to move on. We are a new people with new needs. And this phenomenon needs to be appreciated. Maturation, new needs... And in a certain sense, when we think about this broader theme, maturation, life, cha- life, life changes, new circumstances, new psyche, there's another phenomenon here. We associate maturation with a certain loss of innocence. The older you get, in a certain sense, the less innocent you become. I mean in terms of your na- one's naive perspective on the world. Right? When you're a child, you believe the adult world is perfect. Mother and father are certainly perfect. And then as you get older, you see the adult world is imperfect. Mother and father are, are, are very imperfect, according to the adolescent's perspective. right? And in life, some of the black and white simplistic perspectives we have as we grow older, we see things are not the way they seem. The loss of innocence. 
And at some people, this loss of innocence leads them to become jaded, which is an unfortunate thing. One has to uh, grow with the, these change of perspective and loss of idyllic innocence and at the same time not become jaded. Be that as it may, I want to trace that theme in the parsha as well. Seeing this on a meta level as the parsha all about life changes, life transitions, and embracing them on a national and individual level. I want to trace the loss of innocence here, in a sense, in the Jewish people's part, as we are becoming here the generation who will enter the land, no longer children being cared for in the desert, but a strong people who seeks to strike it out for themselves in Eretz Israel. The above-cited story, when the Jewish people complain about the mud, what is their particular complaint? I mean, the mud is awfully good. It's delicious, it's scrumptious, it's nutritional. If you want to pick on the mud, where are you going to find a problem with the mud? So Rashi cites a fascinating medrash, which says, you know what the Jewish people complained about? The mud did not carry waste product. Because the mud was such perfect nutrition, it all served a function in the body. There was no need to excrete. Well, suddenly here the Jewish people say, ah, oh, can't be. Can't be. There must be a waste product there. We're going to come to regret it. Our intestines are going to feel the effect of no excretion. Now, as with every medrash, there must be more to it. Especially when we're studying a medrash here, you'll excuse me talking about such supposedly sordid matters as waste product. One does not generally assume that the Torah focuses on or preoccupies itself with such a thing. What is this medrash about the Jewish people struggling with their yearning for bowel movement as they ingest mud? What is that supposed to do with it for me? What is the, there must be some deeper symbolism and message. Well, let's think about it this way. Something's odd here. Jewish people, you haven't worried about this for 40 years. For 40 years, you've been okay. How can you conceivably suggest that suddenly you're going to have problems now? Your parents were okay. No gastronomical issues. No erratic intestinal or bowel syndrome. You've been okay. How can you in good conscience and do honesty complain that this is going to happen with the mind? been fine as a people for 40 years. And I think of, in, in this regard of a scene in Shul at the time of a brismila on the women's side. You have a young mother, the mother of the baby about to be circumcised, who's all concerned what's going to happen to him. And you have some older women kind of patting her on the head. You're going to be okay, Shefala. You see all those men on the, on the men's side? They all had brismilas. And you see, they all turned out just fine. Yeah, we do as people have the circumcision thing down pat. There's nothing to worry about. You know, so I think the same thing. You don't need to complain. 40 years we've been fine with the mud. No erratic intestinal bowel syndrome. Why do you suddenly, cons- how can, you, you're, you're irritated. You seek to complain about the mud. You want to answer the land already. But how can you conceivably think that now suddenly you're going to face problems with the lack of waste product? What's the chance? I think the answer is like this. Until now, we have been a Jewish people in the desert. A Jewish people for whom Hashem is carpeting the world and taking care of. A Jewish people who is more angel than human because Hashem is creating a metaphysical reality for us, a cocoon in the desert. 
shielding us from the realities of life, as we said before. So such a people can viably ingest man, which is called lechem abirim, the fare, the food of the angels, and suffer no intestinal effect. But that is not the Jewish people here. Here in Parshas Chukas, we are the people who are going to enter the land. And we firmly identify ourselves now as such. So we don't see ourselves as a people who can ingest waste product-less food. We believe now inevitably. Physicality will inevitably. Gastronomical realities will inevitably set in because we are not those angelic people anymore. We are now the people who are going to enter the land. We've lost some of that innocence. That innocence of life, the realities of life. We're a physical people with a physical constitution. That, that, that is how we see ourselves. So from that perspective, it seems to me the Jewish people are almost yearning to insist for, believe it or not, bowel syndrome. And believing in its absence, we're going to suffer. It's not petty at all. This is a new identification. I am not that child living with innocence, living with an idyllic reality removed from the world, an angelic people. We are a people now who's mature. We've lost that innocence. We're here to care for ourselves. We want to earn our own keep. And we don't believe in a metaphysical existence for ourselves anymore. Any food must come with waste product. That's the reality of our lives now. Physicality with waste product. Nothing else can be our reality. In a certain sense... This loss of innocence, which is really an assertion, I want to be an adult. I want to care for myself. Hashem, I no longer want to be that angel cared for you. By you, but I want to assume independence in Eretz Yisrael is awfully reminiscent of Adam and Chava's dash out of Gan Eden. Think about it. In Gan Eden, they were literally in paradise. Who would want to leave? And yet, when Adam and Chava imbibed from the Eitz Hadas, many Mefarshim understand they were consciously trying to create a less than paradise reality. The Eight Hadas, which according to the Ramban gave them free choice, was a conscious decision on their part. We don't want to live innocent in Gan Eden under Hashem's protection, blissful and Eden-like as it might be. We want to rough it for ourselves. We want adventure. We want decision-making. We want to flex our muscles. Leaving Gan Eden smacks of adulthood the loss of innocence, the perception of body and flesh in a very different way, the perception of nakedness, all of that stuff and the loss of innocence connotations which it carries in a visceral, very deep way relates to the issue at hand here. And this quest which we have as human beings, we struggle to be innocent. We struggle to be dependent. 
so I would posit. Well, powerfully now in thinking about our parsha, I want to tr- find that connection point, linking the Jewish people's new stage in Parshas Chukas. When we seek to leave the Midbar and enter our Tisrael, and we even complain about Hashem's month, I want to link that back to the Eitz Hadas and see if we could trace that sort of connection, that loss of innocence, that assumption of free choice, adulthood, striking it for ourselves. Well, for starters, the Jewish people stayed in the desert is so reminiscent of Ganeitan. Man is so reminiscent of Ganeitan. Ganeitan was the pre-Bezeyas HaPechatochalechem reality. The, the reality prior to the curse of the Eitz Hadas, that man needs to earn his own parnasa, his own keep. In Ganeitan, they were provided with food and sustenance straight from heaven, spiritual food and sustenance. Well, that is the man. It's so clear. The Jewish people don't have to earn their keep. Hashem is creating a paradise of sorts for them. But not only that, when the Jewish people complain about the man, what punishment do we find in our parsha, which now will ring with entirely new resonance? They are struck by a bunch of vapors, by a bunch of snakes. How many times have we glossed over that story? But now we will read it with new eyes. The snake, the nachash, carries such evocative symbolism to it. Echoing back to the skirmish with the viper of old, the nachash hakadmoni. Well, I believe the Jewish people are struck by the nachash now to reflect it as that same loss of innocence. Jewish people, I know it very well. Hashem says, you want to break free, you want to leave this paradise I'm providing for you in the desert. You're even complaining as adolescents complain, trying to find problems with mama's porridge. Her sweet porridge suddenly becomes bitter to the child. You're complaining about my mom. This is your adolescent assumption of maturation. This is your loss of innocence. How, how powerful now is the, this new read of the Nachash attacking them? And I was just, by the way, that Rashi, without telling us so, is hinting to this symbolism of the snake. Rashi tells us on a surface level several of the symbolisms of the snake he, snakes here attacking them when they complained about the man. For example, Rashi says because they spoke splendor, they spoke Lashon Hara about the man. They are following the ways of the Nachash and Ganeidin who spoke Lashon Hara about Hashem. Well, I would suggest there's more to the Rashi than meets the eye. This echo of the Nachash HaKadmoni, the original snake of Ganeidin, linked to our story now is not simply a unidimensional connection. The snake spoke Lashon Hara, they're speaking Lashon Hara. But it's symptomatic of a deeper connection to the original snake. And this is further borne out by Rashi's other commentary. Rashi has another commentary as per why the Jewish people were attacked by the snake. Rashi says, hey, they're complaining about the man, which has so many delectable tastes, they ought to be struck by the snake, who doesn't have any taste at all. Everything the snake tastes like tastes like dirt. Now think for a minute. Where does it come from that everything the snake tastes tastes like dirt? I've never been a snake, but I do know Chumash. I remember the Pasuk in Parshas Bratius that after the Eitz Hadas, Hashem told the snake, you're going to eat dirt. So in Rashi, reading the Jewish people's complaint about the multi-faceted taste of man, linking it to the snake who doesn't taste at all, 
everything tastes like dirt. That's itself yet another echo back to the Nachash and Ganeidan and the Eitzadah story. These Rashis, these multifaceted connections back to the original snake, are not just loose, tenuous linkages, but I believe symptoms of a core linkage, indeed, of Jewish people seeking to get out of midbirth, seeking to lose modern reality, seeking to lose their cherubic childhood innocence of midbar and strike it on their own. They are like Adam and Chava leaving Ganeitan. And if that wasn't enough, let's trace yet another connection, another clue of connection, coalescing now in our pattern between the Jewish people here in Parshas Chukas leaving the Midbar and entering Eretz Yisrael and Ganeitan. Not only do we have the loss of being provided with sustenance from heaven, the assumption of having to earn your own keep. Not only do we have our multiple snake connections, but there's another thing. Mefarshim such as Reb Chaim in his Pirish Ruachim, right, right as a given, make the assumption that the food in Ganeitan had no waste product. There was no bowel movement, you'll excuse me, in paradise. Which is awfully logical. Not only, you'll excuse me, is life much more Eden-like if you don't have to deal with such phenomenon, but more than that. Deeper than that. Waste product reflects an imperfection of food. In line with the imperfection of a world after Eitz Hadas, when Kabbalah tells us after Eitz Hadas, nothing is perfect anymore. Kabbalah says, Eitz Hadas Tova Ra creates a mixture between good and evil. That there's nothing in the world that's absolutely good and nothing in the world that's absolutely evil. You can find elements of good and evil in anything. Everything's great today. You see the loss of black and white innocence. Well, food as well, says Reb Chaim Velazhner, cannot be absolutely nutritional. Even the most nutritious food has some waste product in it. And arguably, there's some nutritional value on the other side, even in trans fat. <laughs> right? Everything is a mix of Tova and Ra today. Well, Reb Chaim Velazhner, is talking about the new reality of waste product and need to excrete at the time of Eitz well, that's exactly what we traced in our parsha. The Jewish people, for the first time here, as they're seeking to enter the land and shed their mon menu, is suddenly, for the first time, worrying about waste product. What a coincidence, no coincidence at all. That is another, yet another symptom of our greater pattern leaking the transitions of our parsha back to the original loss of innocence. Humanity's original need to lose cherubic innocence and reach adult maturation. Eitzadas tovera. That first assumption of das. Das in the Gemara, of course, means maturation. So here we have many, many manifestations in our parsha. Our parsha is all about maturation, life transitions, loss of innocence, the fact that life does not remain the same. Now, there are more manifestations. If I had more time tonight, I would tie even more pieces together. Every single piece of our parsha, from Paraduma on, if you read it deep, will coalesce around this idea. I do not have the time to do so, so suffice it with this Initial presentation, many compelling clues in our parsha are coalescing around this theme. Life transitions, maturation of Jewish people, moving from childhood to adulthood, ready to enter the land and strike it on their own, 
no longer cared for by Hashem. This is the story of our lives. Life is all about change. We can resent it, or we could deal with it. We can embrace it. You know? Our boat, our sea-wearing mode of transportation. Chaim is life. Is our bodies. Our body goes through life and truly is seaworn. Our bodies age. The waves strike against that boat and the boat moves on, worn down, in har- a harrowing journey. The still waters don't exist. Life refuses to remain still. Life is tumultuous. Life is a churning river, and not only is it churning, not only does it change us, but it's a journey. It refuses to remain still. We need to embrace these changes as prods for growth. Just as a Jewish people is assuming new spiritual reality and ultimately new spiritual opportunity upon entering the land. Our parasha, a whole parasha devoted to the theme of internalizing these changes and facing down the consequences of new circumstance, new identity for a Jewish people, a Jewish people who will live beyond emotion, Aaron and Miriam. is really a lesson to all of us to live life with awareness. Not to just go through it and then, then grapple with, lo and behold, those carpets of security pulled from underneath, beneath our legs. But to live with the awareness, it's always changing. There really is nothing called security. Life is insecure, but it is very good and meaningful. And avoidus Hashem pact when we see every new stage in life, new maturation periods, as new Eretz roles, as new platforms of greatness upon which we will tread. Parashas Chukas indeed teaches us how transitions in life prod us, can prod us to ever greater spiritual growth. May we internalize this lesson and reap its benefits. Amen. Kenyi Hiratsan.